The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. Before we get into it, let's take care of a little bit of business. What's going on? Uh, First things first are my friends at Broadbeck Ironworks. Makers of the 2x72 Grinder, this grinder is amazing i have two of them and i fancy i know hey listen listen ladies and gentlemen i believe in this product i love these grinders and you will too if you go to broadbeckironworks.com put in the promo code knife talk 10 you're gonna get 10 percent off all the grinders attachments parts and everything else and by all means go follow them on instagram because every so often i know they were just in blade show texas they have a deal there and they'll they have so many different options and so many different add-ons that they're constantly coming up with these little sales and then you can get this if you get this set you get this so definitely check out what's going on over on instagram with uh broadback ironworks and uh if you put in the promo code knife talk 10 you're gonna get 10 percent off all the grinders attachments parts and all that other stuff but if you're taking away material this is for you if you're a metal worker woodworker sculptor definitely definitely check it out broadbackironworks.com Next are my friends at Evenheat. That's evenheat-kiln.com. Makers and manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. Go find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Tap control, turn and burn, however you want it, wherever you want it, whatever you want it. Evenheat's going to get your shit hard, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, mean, what else can I... That's it. Evenheat's going to get your shit hard. That's their new that's their new uh new look tagline. So go to evenheat-kiln.com, check out what they got. Not to mention the their their customer service is awesome. Once again, I the people I deal with have awesome customer service and that means a lot to me. So go to evenheat-kiln.com. You're making tools, you're making knives, you're doing stainless, you're doing damascus steel, you're doing Damascus, you're doing this, the high-end stuff where you know you're paying a pretty penny for the material, or you're doing it yourself, or your labor is your pretty penny, your sweat equity is your pretty penny, and you want to make sure you get it right, don't play. Don't play. Get yourself that even heat, and um, you'll get squared away. If you're doing tempering, if you're doing hardening, if you need to get to a specific temperature, you need to hold it to a certain temperature, even heat is going to kill the doubt, right? Right? It's going to kill the doubt. So definitely go check out evenheat-kiln.com. Hold on a second. Doing a little bit of adjustment, ear adjustment. Next are my friends up in Canada, Maritime Knife Supply. That is Lawrence Lake, Maritime Knife Supply.ca, or all your knife making needs belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, whatever you need to get stocked or resupplied. And if you think that there's something that he should have that you would like, he'll get it for you. Lawrence is a great knife maker. He's very involved with the knife making community, he has a scholarship 
at the New England School of Metalwork. He's in it for you. And if you go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, you're going to get you whatever you need. You get the bigger forge stuff. You need the Broadbeck. You need the combat abrasives. You need the damage steel. He's got it. So get yourself over there. And if you're in the United States, they're just as fast as everyone else. So definitely check out MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. I want to say one thing about Trojan Horse Forge. They are the makers of the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice, the finest knife finishing vice there is. If you're hand sanding, if you're finishing your handles, there is no better vice. This is for you. It's going to uh, it's going to make your life easier. It's going to make you more, more comfortable, especially for hand sanding. The hand sanding attachment is definitely underrated. And if you have a distal taper, if you have a bend, if you have a, if you have an integral bolster, it, uh, it, uh, it adjusts to accommodate all that. And if you definitely go to uh, TrojanHorseForge.com, put in the promo code Knife Talk. What is it? What is it? Is a full blast 10. Sorry, but <laughs> you put in full blast 10, you get 10% off everything. The T4 Sentinel oil, the handle press attachment, whatever you need, they got you squared away. And Sam, I fucked up. I fucked up. I didn't call you. I didn't call you before Texas Blade Show, and it's my bad, and I owe you a call, and... What can I say? <laughs> Human garbage over here. I didn't do it, and I said I was going to do it, and I and I, I got closer to Texas Blade Show, and I thought eh, maybe I better leave him alone. He's probably wilding out over you know getting ready for that. So I owe you a call, Sam. You're the guy. Definitely check out what they got going over at Texas Fair uh, at Trojan Horse Forge, and put in the promo code Full Blast Ten to get you ten percent off everything. You're the man. This is a great company. I love these vices, and you will too. Uh, Baker Forge and Tool. That's BakerForge.com. Baker Forge and Tool on Instagram. If you want to take your knife making handles to the next level, get yourself some of that Baker Forge steel. I love it. You get your Copper Mai, Copper Mascus, Bronze Mai, Bronze Mask, well, all that stuff, all the different names, the Ripple, and the all this different stuff, the Riptide, and he's got great names, Tiger Mai, and all this stuff. He, it, it's it's amazing stuff. It's super easy to heat treat. There's usually a very it's and and here I'll I'll give you the how easy it is. When it shows up at your doorstep, it's already annealed, so you can cut it on your shitty bandsaw. You can profile it. You can do it. You can when you start to grind it, you're gonna notice, especially if there's copper shims in there, that you can already see where you need to be. So you know where the core is because you'll see the the copper shims. Then you heat treat it. Usually it's ADCRV2. You you plug it in your ADCRV2 into your even heat. Bingo, bango, bongo, quenchy, quench, ready to go. Easy to easy to work with. I mean, it could not be any easier to work with, especially if you're in the stock removal. And then when you have time to etch it, <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm going to tell you. Get yourself some of that gator piss, G-A-T-O-R-P-I-S-S. I mean, you can't. I don't know why I had to spell it. You know what I'm talking about. Get to, get yourself some of that gator piss. If you go to Baker Forge and Tool, BakerForge.com, put in the promo code, uh, put in the promo code full blast. Put in the promo code full blast. You're gonna get yourself 10% off. And if you're in the EU, go to DIYEurope.com, uh, DIYEurope.eu. And you get yourself some of that gator piss over there. So stop playing. It's enough already. I love these guys. And definitely check out the the episode I did with uh, Koi Baker. It was a really fun episode. So definitely check out what's going on with them. Next are my friends at Total Boat. Congratulations to Kristen. Kristen's a big mocker. She's been in a Total Boat for quite a long time. Totalboat.com slash full blast for all your 
epoxy needs your two-part epoxies for your thick set casting and for uh, the high performance stuff you get your uv cure with a clear resin uh, whatever it takes like i said last week get yourself some of that two-part epoxy put it in a jar and shove something in it you know what i'm saying so go definitely check it out if keith decent Derek from malden keith johnson keith mitchell jimmy the so they're all using total boat i know chris zepp's using total boat everyone's using total boat i'm using total boat all our handle scales, I'm using Total Boat. So if it's good enough for us, good enough for you. If you're knife maker, get yourself some of that Total Boat. And use the link, totalboat.com slash full blast, and you will get you will get a percentage off. I'm not 100% sure, but it will give me street cred. I'm looking for street cred, ladies and gentlemen, and that's what I need. So totalboat.com slash full blast. And all the hyperlinks are in the show notes where you're listening to this. So I put everything in the show notes and then it'll give you kind of information in regards to that. So definitely check out that. Next are my friends at GL Hansen & Sons, makers of G-Carta, which is a unique composite of natural fibers and fabrics mixed with epoxy under pressure and heat. And it's definitely awesome. If you go to gcarta.bigcartel.com, you can check out all the different pro- the different stuff like Bofa, Ripplecut, Tuxini by Mikey, Mahi Mahi, Radio Worm Gcarta, Pheasant by Mikey, um, Colorama by Mikey, and Hoopla by Mikey. This stuff is awesome. It is really, really, it's beautiful. And if you're in the knife game, this is really, this is going to put some pep in your step but put some wow in your wow and you get yourself sword away so go to gcarta.bigcartel.com and uh if you're if you want follow them on instagram that's g hal hansen and sons on instagram and there's some dots in there and some dashes and all that stuff but it's in the show notes so definitely check out them and tell them you're glad they sponsor the show which i'm very appreciative of uh last but not least my friends at tormac are celebrating 50 years in business with the black T8 sharpening system. I love this water-cooled sharpening system. Go to Tormek.com or at Tormek underscore sharpening on Instagram and check out what the big fuss is about. I highly recommend it, especially if you're a knife maker. It's not just for sharpening. Well, it's just for sharpening, but it, but what happens is is you end up getting a better idea of what the expectations are in regards to your knives. If you're making culinary knives especially, there's, there's, ge- there's certain geometries that work better than others. And if you're using the water cool wheel, you have a lot of abilities to kind of change the angles of your finished edge and also modify your geometry of your knives to make sure that you're getting what you're supposed to be getting. So there's jigs and you don't, you, you can do with the jigs. You don't have to do with the jigs. I really like them very much. It's changed the way I make knives. My knives are a million times better because I use the Tormac and uh, you will too. So definitely check out what's going on with them and I appreciate that. And then... One final note, I'm, I'm definitely getting more messages uh, in regards to an upcoming episode with Pat Quinn. I'm going to be starting to do, we're going to do about a blacksmithing episode where questions are answered from Pat Quinn from the Center for Mental Arts. And I need you to help me out to get you the questions that you think need to be answered. It doesn't have to be a question. I mean, it could be a simple question. It could be, you know, an easy question. Or it could be a hard question, whatever you want. But this is your opportunity to hear it from Pat Quinn himself. And if you go to Full Blast Podcast on Instagram, you can... 
uh, interact with the show. You can follow me there. You can send me the DMs. Sometimes, you know, like Knife Talk and Full Blast, I kind of use those Instagrams as, as the uh, kind of home base and stuff like that. So go and give me some questions for Pat. We're going to have him on sooner rather than later, and I want to make sure I have plenty to go for because this is, might be, most likely, a more than one episode. So I want to make sure I'm packed with good questions, and here's your chance to ask questions in regards to Center for Metal Arts, Blacksmithing, Forging. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, many thanks, many thanks. So I was saying last week uh, that there's sort of some scheduling issues that were that made it so it was hard for me to have a guest, and the same scheduling issues are happening this week. A lot of it had to do with what's going on at Fader and I's. We're super duper busy, and I had to kind of like adjust certain uh, times that I'm in the shop. And I had to kind of eliminate a moment in time where I normally use for podcasting. And I just had to make the executive decision to do it as solo again. Do a solo again. I had a good time last week. Got a lot of nice messages last week. And I'm kind of going down this road where this is not, listen to me. I want you to, I want to be very clear. I want you to be very clear while you're listening to this. I am not trying to be a motivational speaker. I am not trying to be a guru. I'm not trying to influence your decision-making in regards to your life. I could give a fuck what you do with your life. Whoa, Jeff, that was really unfortunate. Well, you really want, this is, this is me telling you how it is. And, and I take it back. And that's the other thing. I'm not perfect. I'm not always right. And I've realized that when I said, I don't give a fuck, (laughs) <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit strong. So actually I do have, I am have multiple personalities and I do have a guest. It's the other guy. It's the other Jeff. But honestly, this is not, if you want, you know, some of that <laughs> poster, uh, the poster, uh, uh, inspirational quotes, you go to somebody else, go over to Brian house. You go over to work for a podcast. He's going to, he going to tell you, he's going to tell you, he's going to be that cheerleader for you. I'm not going to be the cheerleader for you. I do believe in you. But it's going to take some work. So what I do is, instead of telling you things that I think you should do, what I do is I tell you what I did based on stories that happen to be. And usually they're self-deprecating because just the way it is. It's the way it is. So what I started to notice is, you know, I have two podcasts. I'm also one of the co-hosts of Knife Talk, the uh, number one knife-related podcast on this German-fested planet. And now I'm starting to say whether you like it or not. Because there are other knife comp- knife podcasts popping up here and there, you know, some of them stick, some of them don't, some of them have legs, some of them don't, some of them give give a good shot, some of them don't. I'm with you. You keep your thing going, but just remember, remember whether you like it or not. <laughs> knife talk number one, baby. So what, one of the reasons why we're number one is I'm constantly trying to figure out things to talk about on the podcast. Uh, if you go to Knife Talk podcast, we try to make it not too knifey. I mean, it's going to, you're going to get questions. We're going to get questions in regards to knife making. That's just the way it is. Knife community. But we're trying to kind of, I've been doing this for almost six years. So it's a weekly podcast. We don't really miss a lot of weeks, maybe a holiday here and there, something like that. So we're trying to constantly come up with something new to say. And what we've been kind of over the years, we get questions and a lot of the questions, we end up getting repeat questions. And a lot of it's the business of knife making. A lot of it is the business of how to be motivated and stuff like that. And we're, we're, 
every once in a while, Mareko or Craig or I will say, oh, we've had this one before. But it keeps popping up. So what I try to do is I try to come up with some a topic to talk about and then kind of engage the viewer. And recently, the last two episodes... Uh, and we'll see what happens. I, it's, it's something that I'm willing to, I, I'd love to kind of keep going on is, is we've been talking a lot about self-sabotage. Now it's interesting in the maker community. And I think this is a maker podcast that it, I'm, you know, whether you like it or not, <laughs> whether you like it or not, I'm really being such a piece of shit right now. Don't worry about that. But it's what it, what it is, is, you know, it's, we constantly are talking about making and then how do you make that that connection between finding your joy in making something and then turning it into business. And we, a lot of the questions we get are, a lot of the questions we get are the, the physical making of a knife and like trips, tricks to kind of limit problems so we could be more efficient. And then the other end is how do you, how do you get good enough to the point where you can just like quit your job and then do this for the, for the, for the full time. And that's a quite, that's one of the things that we don't ever talk about is, is like this kind of self analyzation of what's happening, what's working, what's not working. And then you can kind of deduce maybe if this isn't working, I can make a change. Perfect example. Let's say you have a drill bit that's just fucking dull and you're drilling and you're drilling. And the more you're drilling, the duller it's getting. And I'm not, it's not cutting, it's not cutting, it's not cutting. You make the point, and then all of a sudden, you, and you've been down this road where you're drilling a piece of steel, you pull on that fucking, you pull on the arm, and then you're drilling and drilling and drilling, and it's almost through, it's almost through, and then maybe you see a little red. <laughs> you're, you, the friction is now turning, is now overheating your material and stuff like that. We've all been there. Don't pretend like you haven't. I know that I've been there. I know that I thought, ah, it just needs a little bit farther to go. I know you can do it, little drill bit. But what you know is, is the drill bit is, you, you know that the drill bit is dull and you just can't, it won't work anymore. So you make these decisions to say, okay, I don't want to use dr drill bits that are no good. Perfect example is when we're drilling wood, uh, different types of wood. Uh, I'm very conscious of the fact that if we use a fresh bit and you're, when you're drilling, you're drilling down and then you're relieving a lot of that material out. So you don't go straight down like all the way with wood, you drill a little bit and then you relieve it and then you take out all the shit and then you drill a little bit more and you take it out. But if you just were to take the arm and drill straight down, sometimes you'll pop out the front instead of cutting, pop out the bottom instead of cutting out. And then you'll leave this big fucking chip that most likely will not help you in the future, right? So if you're cutting it, so you know, you start to see, okay, this is what I got to do. I got to cut and I got to relieve it. When I drill, I got to relieve some of the stuff out of there and I got to drill and relieve the stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm cutting through and then you end up with a nice hole at the, at the bottom. That's what you're trying to do. Self-analyzation is the same thing. It's, it's trying to figure out what, why am I behaving this way? Where did it come from? And then where did it happen? So we've been talking about self-sabotage a lot on the podcast. And it was been, it's, been, it's been a really interesting conversation because you know self-sabotage is what are the things that you're doing that is preventing you from being successful? Now, I'm not going to go in a whole litany of this is what you need to do. But I kind of wanted to talk about like the idea of self-analyzation and kind of figuring out what's going on. I, know, I would say about 15 years ago, I came to the, I came, I started kind of the self-analyzing and I'm not, I'm not pretending like I read a book and said, you know, this is what, so 
years ago, I used to listen. I've talked about this a million times. I used to listen to the radio. The radio kept me company. Different uh, radio shows used to keep me company uh, when I was home. I, I would when I was by myself, I'd have the radio on. And then uh, when I, would, I had a shop and then in the late night in the late nineties. I was alone the whole time, and I would have to listen. I didn't want to hear someone, so I'd get to the shop, and then I would listen to Howard Stern. I would listen to Brian Lair. I would. I had a system. I would listen to Mike and the Mad Dog. I listened to. I I knew different times where the different shows were going on and off, and I felt like it was being kept company. Throughout my life working in shops, you know, you're doing certain things depending on where you're working. You know, maybe you're drilling holes all day, or maybe you're you know you're pun- punching holes in channel for pickets, or maybe you're forging all day. So sometimes you can get to the position where you're you're doing something and it's nice to hear something, anything. Could be music. Sometimes music on a stereo isn't loud enough. It doesn't compete with uh, the machines that you're working with. So sometimes you need to have um, some sort of what I mean, some sort of noise canceling, and then you wear your earbuds. Next thing you know, you're listening and you can't hear what's going on and. and, and. So for years, I was listening to radio and or podcasts or CDs or tapes. I had Walkman. I had all, the whole nine yards. And then one year, I was working for this metal shop, the last metal shop I ever worked in. We were doing a lot of, um, we were doing a lot of finish work for buildings. We were doing cladding for buildings, steel cladding, a lot of stainless steel for st- stainless steel cladding, and we were doing elevator railings, and we were doing regular railings, not ornamental railings, but like, you know, railings, you know, for elevators and bathrooms, and we were, you know, it was standard stuff. It wasn't some of it wasn't beautiful. Some of it was just like, get this motherfucker done. You can't just go to Home Depot and get railings. You know, you, sometimes you have to have someone do it. So we would do satin finish, and way you do a satin finish, if you're a knife maker, you know, do it by hand. Well, for in on a panel or a railing or uh, something, you would use what's called a stroke sander. A stroke sander is a giant version of a belt sander, except for you're not using the side. If you're l- looking at a belt sander, you're using the side platen, right? Well, imagine that bottom, the bottom of your bottom wheel and going to the motor and that bottom. Imagine that long stretch on the bottom, that slack bottom is where you're you're working. Now your belts are not not two by seventy two. They're six inches wide and they're maybe like forty feet long. And the 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 machine that holds it, the wheels are like twelve feet apart. It's insane. And what you do is you'll take a bar, a block of wood, and then you hold it down. And then there'll be a table underneath, and then you will lay your material underneath the belt, and then in the direction where you want to go. And then there's a, a slide. Um, the, the bottom rack where you're working is slides and then you're pushing down on the, on the, the top of the belt, which is the backing of the belt to push down onto your material to kind of create the, the, um, the satin finish. Now it's insane. It's crazy. It looks amazing. It looks insane. The, the wheels are spinning at like insane, you know, the, there's no, you know, there's no adjustment. It's on or off. And when it goes on, it's like a fucking, <laughs> a fucking rocket ship. So when my boss was teaching me how to use it, he said, there will be no headphones. There will be no, you know, loose clothing because you're right, right by the belt there. there and there will be no earphone. You can wear earplugs, but there's no music, no music, nothing. You have to be 
fucking at, at attention. You can't, you know, you can't be playing, listen to Howard Stern with the stroke sander because number one, the belt is, you know, cut you in two. And then two, you'll destroy the material because it's not a small thing. It's usually something big. So I would be on the stroke sander for days, for days on end. There would be a pile of, they'd bring the, they bend these railings and then I would have to, or I would have to pre satin finish the material before they could make the bend. So there'd be like a pallet of steel, uh, steel bars. And then I would have to put satin finishes on them all. And then, you know, then the next guy would get it. And it was, it was very, it was difficult, but it was really interesting. So then what are you listening to, right? You get to the point where you're just like, it's time to think. It's time to like, where are we going now? What am I going to do? I have to pay attention to what I'm doing, but it's like, maybe I should start reflecting on my past. So for days and weeks, I was taking a moment in my life and thinking about it with the perspective of time. And then I would start to ask myself, well, who benefits from this situ- from what happened at that situation? Who benefits came from... I was reading a fucking Batman comic book. And Batman was trying to solve a goddamn mystery. He was being a detective. And they were asking him who he thought the murder murderer was. And he says, well, it's very easy. All you have to do... Well, he didn't say it was very easy. You know, I'm sure... I, I, you know, he said or he wrote, or the writer wrote, the Batman said, who benefits? Who benefits? You find out who benefits, and then you find your, you find the, you find the, the murderer. So I started to think about that. I was just like, holy shit, who benefits is like the perfect, the perfect, you know, the perfect question to ask. So I would plug in a story that I remember as being slightly memorable as being most likely traumatic, either good or bad. And then I would say, well, who benefits from that? Or I'd have a conversation with someone and I felt someone kind of treated me poorly or talked to me in a way that I didn't like. And I would think to myself, well, what's the benefit of that? Who benefits from that? And all of a sudden I had all these kind of crazy self realizations and I started to kind of plug in who benefits to fucking everything. So for months and months and months, or weeks and weeks and weeks into months, I'm on the stroke sander. I'm just like rehashing these things that happened and trying to be as honest as possible. And then just try to see why, you know, what was the motivation behind this? What was the motivation behind that? And all of a sudden I started to kind of like label, ah, this is why this happened. And I would come home and I would say to my wife, Hillary, I I think I had a revelation about why this happened. And then I would read it. I would tell her about it. And she has a, some history in, in, you know, psychiatry, not psychiatry, but like she understands the human mind. She's very well acquainted with what, you know, that this kind of thing. And she would say, yeah, yeah, I think you got something there. That's interesting. I never thought about it like that. So on this podcast and on knife talk, I think that it's great to, I try to be as honest as I can be in regards to why I've done the way I've done, why I've done things the way I've done them and, and then how that, and then I'll, rec- I'll recall, recall something and then I'll say, huh, you know, this is kind of interesting. Maybe this will help someone else. Who knows? Gentlemen, ladies, who knows? Who knows? One of the things I wanted to talk about was I, you know, I I mentioned I talk about my father every so often and he had passed he's passed away now uh 12 or 13 years something like that something like that uh we can go into some other time why I don't remember the exact date but you know we'll that's for another day I remember I remember growing up it was very there was a lot of 
there was a lot of difficulty, uh, probably around the, or the early 80s. And in 1984 is when my parents got divorced. Crazy thing is they got divorced f- exactly 40 years ago this last, or they told me they were getting divorced this last 40 years ago from this past Super Bowl. So a couple of weeks ago, it would have been the 40th anniversary of them telling me they're getting divorced. And it was a really tough time because I didn't understand why. And they, I felt as though it was my fault. And that's kind of, you know, normal, normal, situ, normal. That's normal. Kids think it's their fault. And I found myself in this position of like trying to cope, trying to cope. But not to mention, my parents were trying to cope too. They were. It was a strange time. The early '80s were a strange time, especially in the social class that my family was in, because, you know, most of my dad's friends and mothers, uh, my dad's friends and my mother's friends, they had been married before. They had been divorced before. Being divorced was as commonplace as anything else. And my father had. My mother was my father's third wife, so. Divorce was like this kind of, you know, it was much more normalized than it is. It was sad, but at the same time, it was it's felt to me like it was far more normal. And the problem is, is it, there's, there's, there's so much more than just like the parents are separating and then what do you do? So one of the things I was trying to cope with was kind of my relationship with my, my parents. And there, there was two alternate relationships. My father was trying to get on with his life. He is what I would refer to as a bridge burner. A bridge burner is the type of person that is not afraid of cutting someone loose. Uh, Bridge burner isn't someone who gets rid of something the first time. It's usually like, it's a pattern of cutting someone loose a lot and being comfortable with it. I think when we do things enough in these cycles, we get comfortable with being put in that position and then that becomes normalized. He was cutting a lot of people loose. He was cutting friends loose and someone said the wrong thing to him. He cut my sisters loose for, you know, there was a long time where my, my dad didn't talk to my sisters for quite a long time. And he also was divorced two times before my mother. So divorcing my mother was was not new, was not a new was not a new feeling for him and i'm speculating but i would imagine that that's the case i think that when you you know you make the decision when he was older and he and i talked about you know life when he was kind of nearing the end i asked him i asked him what his biggest regrets in life were and he his very honest and whether it was thoughtless or not, it was what it is. He said to me, I wish I didn't get married so many times. That's your regret in life? It's not, it's not like there's no taking responsibility for, you know, you have, what's wrong with, you have children that are, you know, part of society and they're good people who love you. What's so bad about that? But that's another story. So my father was a bridge burner and I kind of talked last time how, um, my dad didn't really teach me how to paint. He and it, and I kind of gave the analogy that he was a prof- you know, he was a professional painter. Imagine if your parent was a professional basketball player and he didn't teach you how to shoot the ball or he didn't teach you how to dribble or he didn't teach you how to do a layup. It's just like why won't you show me what you know how to do? Another thing that he didn't teach me how to do is be confident. He didn't teach me how to be confident 
and he would I, i'm trying to say this as eloquently as possible there was this i at a young age i knew that love was not my his love for me was not unconditional i knew based on the relationship he had with my sisters that and frankly the relationship he had with my mother that it was only a matter of time before he you know would burn the bridge with me or turn on me turn on me in the sense of like i don't need this kid he's causing too much trouble so when we would have these conversations where i'd argue with him argue over like you know wanting something it felt as though he always kind of was very good at manipulating me and kind of explaining, you know, explaining things to me in a way that was, um, I felt defeated. And part of it was I couldn't argue with him and feel like this argument was going to end well. It was always going to, there was always this kind of like level of he's, you know, m the love is unconditional. If you're too much of a pain in the ass, don't worry. I, I, I know I've, I've walked away from other people too. He didn't say that, but that was always the key. So I was never very good at arguing in a way that was normal. I was never, even disagreements, I was never good. I was, I, I really started to become very, uh, it was hard for me to uh, not embrace, but uh, deal with conflict in a positive way. And the only thing I felt I could react with my father was with humor. I could make him laugh. And I, I found myself in the position of d defending myself with humor. And the crazy thing is, I was thinking about this in regards to like, kind of like what, what, why, you know, I, I don't try to learn jokes and tell jokes. I try to make a funny, I try to say something fucking funny. And I, and I, and a knife talk, it's great because, you know, I can make the guys laugh and, and it, it, it kind of like, it's, it's fun for me and it's great, but it's this defense mechanism. And when I was younger, I really, I had no, I want to tell some funny, tell some fucking funny stories. Well, I hope they're funny, but I might, some of them may or may not have happened. or may or may not have told them before. So I had a real hard time telling my father, you know, having a kind of a real conversation with him without him kind of belittling me or, you know, if, if he got to a certain level of disgust, he would just kind of, he would just kind of stop the conversation altogether. But there was always this sense of like his love was, his love was, uh, our relationship was conditional. Like he cut me loose and he cut me loose. I say the wrong thing and it's just like, ah, I don't need you anymore. There, that, that feeling was very strong. And he never really taught me how to fight back. He never taught me how to fight back, especially when I was in school. And I found myself in these positions of, I went to a boys' school. My, you know, you can imagine what these kids are like in boys' school. They're brutal. And they say terrible things all the time. And I just could never, I was never a good put-down artist. I was never someone who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone because I always felt as though, I'm afraid of hurting someone's feelings or I just, it was always, I always was the butt of jokes and I was always the person who got taken care of. You know what I'm saying? I got fucking blasted. And all of a sudden there were these moments in my life where I found myself defending myself with a joke. Here's an example. I remember when I was uh, in high school I remember, I remember, or junior high school, it was very, I was younger, I was with some friends, and we were walking down the street, and one of my friends said it was, you know, pushing a bicycle, it was like three of us or something like that, 
And I remember this big group of guys kind of kind of came over to us. We didn't know them. We're in the middle of New York City. Uh, I think it was like a First Avenue. It was like a strange area. And they just kind of circled us. And they were like looking around and they were like, where are you guys from? And there was a lot of like questioning, like, you know, being, it felt like, I felt like, you know, sharks are circling the prey. And I, all of a sudden I started getting this feeling of like, I, the one guy turns to the other guy, he's like, hey, you think that kid will let me try his bike out? And he says, hey kid, let me, let me try your bike out. Let me try your bike out reminded me of when I was walking down the street a year, you know, a couple years ago, a couple years before that. And I was wearing a jacket, a, a nice jacket, like a leather jacket or something like that. And somebody came up to me on the street and said, Hey, I like that jacket. Do you think I could try it on? A stranger, a stranger said, Hey, I like that jacket. Do you think I could try it on? My fucking, my fucking New York City senses came on and all of a sudden I was like, this fucking guy is not, if this motherfucker tries my jacket on, I'm never going to see that jacket again. You know, put it on, you know, run. And it was like, no, nah, I can't. I, and I just kept walking and then I just ended up, you know, ducking him and stuff like that. So when these guys were circling us, you know, flash forward, these guys are circling us with the, the bike and you get the feeling like, you get the feeling that, there's this sense that someone's this bike is going to get stolen. These guys are going to fucking rob us of this bike. So my friend who's calling the bike is just like, you tell he's nervous and the other guy's nervous. We're nervous. We're outnumbered. It's just very clear that, you know, we're about to get mugged or robbed or whatever. So one of the guys says, I want to ride your bike. And then my friend was, like, oh, I really don't want you to. And the, the guy says, I'm going to ride your bike. And what are you going to do about it? And I just, I don't know what happened. I don't know where I came from. I didn't practice it. I didn't say anything. And I just said, I said, what do you expect me to do? He's going to ride on my back? <laughs> you spe- What do you expect? This guy's going to ride on my back now? Like, you take this bike. And what, I got to, he's got to, I got to fucking carry this guy home? And they laughed. They started laughing and they just fucking walked away. It was this weird thing of me being like, oh, you're going to take his bike. And now what, I got to carry this fucking guy? I mean, I didn't say that. I mean, it was, you know, 15 or something like that, but it was just very clearly like, you know, this motherfucker is going to take his bike. What am I going to do? I'm going to carry this fucking guy now? They laughed. They walked away. Next thing you know, my friend says, oh my God, we almost got mugged. And I'm just like, yeah, we almost got mugged. And I fucking, that was scary. And the adrenaline's pumping and we're nervous because we're going to lose our bike. You know? And it, it, it just was this moment of just like, defense but the defense wasn't like physical the defense was like just make a joke and see what happens years later i remember when i was i had moved to brooklyn with my wife she was my my girlfriend at the time and i remember i was helping open up a restaurant and i was working the breakfast shift i didn't want to be there and i was going to the subway at three o'clock in the morning and this guy came up to me and he goes he goes, uh, hey, you have any money? And I said, no, I don't have any money. And he goes, well, I'm just going to follow you to the subway until you give me some money. And I just, I was tired. I don't know. I wasn't really thinking right. I just turned to him and I'm like, and I said, if I had money, do you think I'd go to work at three o'clock in the morning? Seriously. I was like, I don't think if I had money, I wouldn't be going to work this early in the morning. And the guy laughed. He walked away. And I said, get on the subway. And I was just like, fuck. 
fuck. And I had all these moments in my life where, you know, jokes were, were this weird, real defense. Like it was not only just a defense of like protecting myself, but it was like a, a, a physical defense. I told a joke and a guy didn't beat me up. I mean, that's fucking bananas. And then all of a sudden you start to realize that there's a goddamn value to this. All of a sudden I saved, I fucking told a joke and I saved that kid's bike. I talk, I, I fucking told a joke and I saved my fucking wallet, my whatever, any of my valuables. And it was like this real physical ability to like, not only were you protecting your, your ego with a joke, but you're fucking protecting your physicality. It was crazy. Total madness. And I, for my life, all of a sudden I got in these positions where I'm going to fucking tell jokes. I'm going to tell jokes, bitch. And that's just the end of it because I can't, ha I can't handle this anymore. And it reminds me more, more than I think about it. I, there was this, I might've told this one again, but you know, fuck you. You listen to me. Don't you want to go listen to some other bullshit podcast? Go ahead. You listen to my bullshit podcast. This is what I'm going to tell you. That whole time when my parents were divorced, there was this real, it was, it was 1984. It was a really tough period of my life. And part of it was because my father was trying to get his life together. My mother was trying to get her life together. And they just could not focus on the fact that I was doing poorly in school. I was doing poorly in school and I was not doing well. I was emotionally very sad and I just wasn't being, they were, and I feel sorry. I feel sorry for them. I know that life was not easy for them too. My mother was depressed. My mother was, did not take the divorce very well. My father was just wanted to get his life together. He took the, I think he took, you know what, frankly, I think my dad took the divorce really well. <laughs> my dad, dude, my dad, my dad, my dad got ass. <laughs> Let, let me tell you, let me tell you, my fucking dad got ass. <laughs> my, my fucking guy got ass. And because when I would see him on weekends, there was always another new, new, new woman there. And they were always very nice to me. And there was this weird, that all of a sudden my dad's, my dad's got someone over for the weekend. And next thing you know, we're having dinner with this other woman who's spending the weekend with us. And who's this woman in the pool? And who's this woman, you know, being nice with my father? My fucking dad got ass. <laughs> Motherfucker got ass. So I think the divorce was great for him. For my mother, it wasn't so great. And I remember having these weird, I, it was sucked because I had to go from my mother's house to my father's house during the week and they weren't smart. So Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I was with my mother and Tuesdays and Thursdays was my father. So I would go to school with a backpack every day and I would always be in a different place every other fucking day. And it was just like, I just wasn't doing well in school. And the problem was, was, and I was talking about this on the, uh, this last episode of Knife Talk. My, my grades weren't good and the school wanted my mother and my father to join me every Friday at the school early in the morning before school started to go over my work. And I had a special book that I had to have every class. I had to get the teacher to sign off on that I was paying attention. And we would go through the book every week and the teachers would write these notes. And it was so humiliating because I had to go early. I had to be with my mother and my father who did not like each other at all. My father was just irritated with me. Why can't you get your shit together? And what are you doing wrong? You're not paying attention. Everyone was saying, why aren't you paying attention? And 
it was sucked because there was obviously a problem other than me just being a stupid kid. There was undiagnosed uh, dyslexia, which they didn't find until I was in ninth grade. So I had a full fucking, you know, six years of me having to go into the principal's office with my parents and be humiliated by the teacher. And Jeffrey's not doing this and Jeffrey's not doing that. And Jeffrey's having problems with this. And And it was like, it was humiliating and demoralizing and neither one of my parents could figure out what to do and nobody could figure out what to do. And then when they finally, when they finally figured out that it was, you know, not me not paying attention, it was this like Eureka. We figured out what it was, but no, Hey Jeff, sorry for all those years of just saying you were stupid. <laughs> that, that, that like, wiped away. I never got any kind of restitution for <laughs> the feelings of humiliation. So in that period of time, I remember seeing my, you know, I, People would ask me on Fridays, why are you coming to school early? Why are your parents coming to school with you? What the fuck's going on? And what, why is it, and it, why are you carrying that book around that you have to have the teachers to sign? So my friends were like breaking my balls. It was totally humiliating. And I remember this moment. It was early on. Parents are divorced. My dad was, you know, he got banging, banging it. I mean, my, my boy's got, my old man, my old man got that broke ass dick. I mean, he have, he have, my old man must have, it's crazy. Now that I think about it, I think about all the people that my dad probably screwed. And it is pretty, quite amazing, frankly. And I think he really did enjoy it too. Um, so when there was one point where I was, I was going home on the bus and I must have been like 12, 12 or 13, uh, maybe not even 13. I was probably like 11 or 12, but we're still at the, we're still at the young, you know, freshly divorced after fourth, after third grade, I was taking this, uh, the, when I was in the fourth grade, I'd take the school, I wouldn't take the school bus, I'd take the city bus. I was taking the city bus home, getting on the bus at 78th street and then I was taking the bus down to 62nd Street. And I remember getting on the bus. And usually what I'd do is there was a store next to the bus stop. And I'd get a comic book. And I can imagine it was probably Uncanny X-Men or a West Coast Avengers. Or there was, there, I had a, like a laundry list of comic books. And, you know, Wednesdays were also the day where comic books were coming out in the newsstands. And I remember getting on the bus. And I remember sitting down. I probably had a little bag of Doritos. And I probably had like a Hawaiian punch or some bullshit or something like that. And then I had a fucking comic book. And I was ready to sit down and enjoy my ride down Lexington Avenue. And all of a sudden, I hear these fucking kids. Hey, Fader, what the fuck's wrong with you? And I look up and there's these three kids. I wish I could say their names only because their names are so great. But it's just like, I was telling my wife this story and she was like, what kind of fucking name is that? And I was just like, fucking best name for this story, but I can't do it. So this one guy, there was kind of like three of them. There's a ringleader, his buddy, and then a third kind of a quiet guy. So the ringleader says, hey, what's going on with you? Why did I see you you and your mom and your dad? And what's, why you, what's wrong with you? You know, it was straight into like, I mean, it's straight into like just, going into like, man, you must be stupid or something. And it was just like, I just got, next thing you know, the sidekick is fucking railing me and the ringleader's making fun of, probably making fun of my mom's weight and probably just, they're both, the three of them are having a blast on the city bus just trashing me. And I just don't have it in me to say something back. I just don't have it. I don't have, my father did not prepare me for, you know, 
you know, how to be a comeback artist. I wasn't good at it. I fucking wasn't good at it. And because I thought my, my, when I was a comeback artist, my dad, he would just like, his response would be like, well, I just don't love you anymore. And it was just like, fuck. I mean, that is so strong. How can you, you can't just call me an idiot or something. You have to go straight to there. So I'm get on this bus and these dudes are fucking giving it to me. I mean, they are tearing me up and you could even tell that like some of the people on the bus are kind of like smirking because I'm just getting my shit pushed in. I'm just getting fucking tore up. I mean, they're not being like, they're not bullying me in the sense of like, I didn't feel imminent uh, danger, but I definitely felt like I'm just getting fucking tortured on this bus. And you could tell like some of the other kids on the bus were laughing and I'm just getting torn up and I don't have anything to say. I just don't have it in me. And I don't know if I'm afraid to hurt someone's feelings. I just can't go to the, for the A-bomb. I just don't know what to do. So the 70s, the 60s, we're already at, now we're back on the, we're like, I'm maybe like six or seven blocks from my stop. And the quiet guy, after, I'm just getting tore up, tearing me up, Fader, you moron. And you can imagine what they were saying. They were calling me all sorts of horrible, horrible and funny things that I think about it. Horrible and yet funny and witty and clever. And the more they're doing, the better they're getting and the faster they're getting. And I'm not stopping them. So it's just like, they're, it's just this groundswell and avalanche of just fucking humiliation. And all of a sudden the quiet guy, the quiet guy just goes, fader, fader, you know, you know, and he starts stuttering. And in my mind, you know, I can take so much. You know what I mean? I've been getting my, my balls broken on this bus for quite a long time, you know? And as a young person who had a stutter, and my father never let me forget it, that was one of the things when I would argue with him, if I started to stutter... He'd fucking capitalize. He was the master manipulator. He knew all my buttons. He knew where my weak spots were. He exploited them often. And if I started to stutter with him, he'd be like, buh, 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 buh. he would start to fucking make me stammer. And it got worse. And it got worse. Probably one of the reasons why I like doing podcasting is because I'm far more confident in the way I speak and I'm not stuttering like I used to. I used to stutter terribly. And, you know, God bless people who stutter. I'm with you. But this motherfucker was stuttering at me. You know, I had taken just about enough. It was about enough. I'm not going to sit there for 15 blocks and get my ass tore up by three dorks. And then the third one is going to just kick me in the balls with my hands tied. Forget it. He starts stuttering. He's trying to get something out. He's feeling confident because everyone's hitting hitting homers off me. Everyone's they're sticking pitches. Everyone's hitting homers. This is t-ball, bitches. They're fucking t-ball. They're hitting the t. Their home runs off the t-ball stick. They are killing me. And this fucking stuttering dick is starting to. I mean, no disrespect, but he motherfucker was going up for me, and I just had had enough. I'd had enough. It was enough. So he's starting to stutter. You know what? Who knows what he said? And I turned to him and I said, his name. And I said, listen, I'm about to get off in five blocks. So if you're going to get it out, now's your chance. And it was like, and then his friends started laughing at him. I said, I cannot sit here 
for 15 minutes to get my teeth kicked in and I have to wait another five blocks for you to get this out. You can do it. I said, I I believe in you. And then I started and then they're laughing and then everyone's laughing. And then I'm just like, come on. I don't have all day. I rang the bell. I'm going to ring the bell again and you you better have it out. Because if you don't have it out, by the time I get off the bus, it's not as good. And I'm just like, now all of a sudden, merciless. I'm not going to sit there and fucking take it. And then they started, everyone started laughing. And I got off the bus. I flipped them all off. I got off the bus. And it was like this wild episode where I defended myself <laughs> towards the end. Now, subsequently, I got called into the principal's office the next day because the kid who had a stutter, he went home crying to his mother and his mother called the school and said, Jeffrey Fader insulted my son who has a terrible stutter. He was making fun of my son who had this terrible stutter and he, I'm not letting him come. He's too distraught. He's not coming to a school today. I get pulled into the office and I'm and they're, they're fucking reading me out. Do you have any idea how much we had to fucking work with this kid? I didn't say that. I mean, there's a school. They say, you have any idea how much work we put in with this kid and how how hard it is and when you have a stutter you don't have the self-confidence and then and I, they're and i feel terrible all of a sudden i'm feeling terrible and then i and they said do you have anything to say i'm like yeah him and the other two guys were on the bus with me they were kicking the shit out of me they were beating me up i mean not beating physically they were roasting me that would be that we wouldn't have said roasting back in the 80s but they were he would they were roasting me on the bus and i was taking it for a long time and i just didn't have anything to say and then the kid started stuttering and i fucking let him have it i went for the weakest link i went for the weakest move i'm not gonna what am i gonna sit there and then get abused more by just because the guy's got to stutter i gotta take it fuck no but i wasn't this arrogant i was much more like well you know they were making fun of me and you know he he was gonna so they grabbed the ringleader the ringleader comes to the office and they asked him to explain what happened. And they were like, well, yeah, we were we were kicking Jeff's ass. And, and next thing you know, the last guy started stuttering and look, Jeff went for it. And it, it was very, there were, he, I give the ringleader a lot of credit to this day. He really kind of like was very honest about it. And it was the whole thing of like, yeah, he was funny. I mean, what, what Fader said was funny and, you know. It all, every, it, but the hilarious part was <laughs> this kid was like, you know, wanted to be a bully. And then all of a sudden he's crying because, you know, I gave it to back to him and, you know, whatever. So it, humor was one of those things with me where it was critical and it uh, 150,000% saved my, saved my ass. A lot of it was saving my ass with my dad. A lot of it was saving my ass in general. That was a definitely the stuttering moment was unbelievable because it was just like I don't and I wasn't planning on it. I was just seething in that chair, and I'm just like I cannot suffer getting insulted by this guy who can't you know insult me correctly. Gonna insult insult me? Let's go. I it 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 was it was one of those things that was just like you know it was a defense mechanism and it was a way for me to kind of like you know also also become friendly with other kids because if I, I it was this way of like you know it was a communication too like all of a sudden now i was friends with those kids too after after it all and it made me think about like as i was growing older i was not good i was never good at like telling jokes like i could never remember jokes even if i even on knife talk when we get jokes i'm just not good at like selling a joke like a written joke i'm just not good at it 
But like if somebody says something funny and I try to swing at pitches and I started to realize swinging at pitches is important. And I, I, I feel like, you know, you, you, there are these moments in your life when you think to yourself, I could have said this. I wish I'd said this. And that is the point in your life where you're fucking watching, you're watching a pit. If you're watching baseball and you're in the batter's box and you see a good strike and you look and you decide not to swing at it and you're just like, I could have swung at that one. You've got to swing at pitches. And sometimes they're good and sometimes they're terrible. And I have a story that is so unfortunate, but at the same time, it was correct. This was a story where I made a joke. I might have told this one on, I think I told this one on Knife Talk, but I'll say it again. When I was in college, I was visiting my uncle and aunt, and my mother came, and we were in Ohio. And my my grandmother, who was very old, and she was, you know, really on the back nine. As the, I don't know the back nine. I think she was on like less less than the back nine. She was really like things were like slowing down for her. We went up and we were gonna go see I remember what it was. It was gonna be a Batman movie. I think it was it wasn't bad. I don't know if it was I think it was Batman with Val Kilmer. I think it was Batman with Val Kilmer. Or it was Batman. I all I remember is it might have been the second Batman with uh the penguin with uh Michael Keaton. I don't remember it because what I said to my grandmother was so offensive that it spoiled my whole trip there. <laughs> so if you can, it, spo- it spoiled the memory of what movie we went to see. I remember going to see Batman 1 on the first day of its opening at the first, the first um, screening of the, on the first day of Batman 1 with Michael Keaton because it was the day of my dad's wedding. I'll never forget almost being late to my dad's wedding. Oh, shit. I fucking told... There's another story in there. I have another story that's horrible, too. Swinging at pitches. I got two swinging at pitches stories. I went to see... Let's. I'm going to back it up now because I went to Batman 1. It was on the day of my dad's wedding. And it was Batman 1, and then I had enough time to run back home, get my suit, and run to the wedding. And I was not going to miss Batman 1. I was such a huge Batman fan. And the fact that it was coming to the big screen was so exciting. I wanted to see Michael Keaton. And I just, everything about it. I watched the movie, see the first screening. I got the fucking Batman pin. I am fucking, I'm jazzed. And I'm not super happy about seeing, you know, my dad's wedding. I'm not excited about my dad's wedding. My, my, the, The fourth wife my dad married was not a good person. Uh, and I, she, I wasn't great to her in the beginning, but she should have known better because I was a very, you know, I was a kid who was not doing well. She should have used her head better and she didn't run home, get the suit, run to the wedding. I'm, my father was this kind of guy who was like, if you're not five minutes early or late, I was on time, but not five minutes early. And I was sweating and I run to the where the wedding was, and I walk in. And my dad's he's like, "Where have you, where have you been? Where have you been? Where you were late? You know, I wasn't. Was I really late? I mean, <laughs> I was his best man, which was like I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. Getting a, getting me as his best man was a giant mistake. Just because it's like you, your fucking son is your best man. What are you saying? Is this a this loyalty thing? Why don't you get a friend of yours? You know, I, there was a, it was a, it was a, it wasn't a fucking good move. Dad walks out, fucking lighting me up, wondering where I was, and I'm like, Dad, don't worry about it. This is 1989. 
1989, and I think that's 1989. I'm pretty sure it was 1989. And uh, my dad, my dad says, "Why? Well, I can't believe. Why were you late? What's that? Pit? Where were you?" And I said, "I went to the Batman movie." He's like, "Hey, what's the Batman movie? It's my fucking wedding, you know." And so out walks his wife, and I'll describe how she looked, and then I'll tell you what I said, and then I'll tell you the response. And I don't know why I said it, but I said it. This is swinging at pitches number one. I'm going to tell you swinging at pitches number one, and I'll tell you swinging pitches number two, and then we're going to see where we are. Where are we? Where are we? Okay. So she walks out, and she's a very tall woman, slender, with big white blonde hair, white-ish blonde-ish hair. And it was like, I mean, not in the style of an afro, I would say, but it was in the style of kind of an afro. For a woman this thin and tall, and it, it was fucking bizarre, frankly. It was like, I mean, you understand. So it was, she was wearing a long white shirt. I don't remember if she was wearing a jacket, but she was wearing a long white shirt, a long, long white pants, and very slender with this big head of hair. White. Everything's white. Fucking white. And I remember her asking me, oh, Jeffrey. And she was, she was trying to be nice. And she was trying to get him a dear to me. And ultimately, I did the best that I could in general. Ultimately, my, my suspicions of her being a horrible human being were correct. But at the time, I was still like 14, 15. I mean, at the 14, 15, parents are divorced, school's down the tubes. You're getting your, you know, you're not, nothing's going for your way. There's going to be some issues, you know, undiagnosed, you know, idiocy. I mean, just like everything's not going well. You got to kind of like, you got to take a fucking knee and just be like, look, give the guy a fucking break. So she's, I'm, my dad just fucking tore me up for being late when I wasn't late. She says, how do I look? And I fucking swung at pitches. And I said, you look like a giant Q-tip. I mean, on my wedding day, if, if I heard that from a 14 or 15-year-old kid, I don't think I'd be too thrilled myself. It was true. It was accurate. It was, looking back now, it was true. It was accurate. It was funny. It was not appropriate. Oh, my dad was so fucking furious with me. It was like nonstop. Not just like... Oh my God. And and this all happened, me being late and insulting his wife on their wedding day. It in a five minute period. So I mean I'm batting. I'm I'm a fucking just I'm a I'm garbage. At this point, I am hundred percent garbage. Now I'm like I all goodwill is now out. You know, all goodwill is out. Now we're at like it would be bridge burning time, except for the fact that I'm already positioned to be the the um already positioned to be the uh the best man. So it's like, can't really burn the bridge now. We could burn the bridge later. And ultimately, that's, that is what happened. As I, you know, as the wedding, after the wedding happened, uh, I was kind of thrown out of my own, where I grew up in the house that I lived. I wasn't welcome there anymore. My, my room was turned into a guest room and I was like told, you're not really welcome here anymore. So I, you know, look, 
you say a giant Q-tip, and then the, I mean, the, you know, there are consequences to swinging pitches too. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they're all not homers. And I remember when they were getting married, and my father, you're talking to a person who's second generation, non-practicing Jew. We identify as being Jewish, and we're socially we understand the cultural significance of being Jewish, but we never went to Hebrew school. So my father didn't go to Hebrew school. Uh, and we can talk about that another day too, and, and, and talk about you know our culture, the culture of our family. But I, he said to me, "I didn't go to Hebrew school, so you don't go to Hebrew school." Well, they got a rabbi to marry him, and they had him repeat after the rabbi, and with no Hebrew training or practice, it's just not going to sound the same. So repeat after me, and if it's the first time. If it doesn't fucking sound exactly like what the rabbi says, it sounds funny, right? If you were to have a very important moment in your life where you had to learn another language and they said, repeat after me, and you repeat it after them, you would say to yourself, I'm probably not going to get it right the first time. I should probably practice this so I don't make a fool of myself, right? So... At, at this point, at this moment where you're doing a lot of public speaking, if you're asked to speak in a language that you're not accustomed to, maybe you should practice. Maybe you should give it a whirl once or twice. Maybe you should be prepared because ultimately, your the however you feel about yourself, whatever you say is not going to sound like what the rabbi says. So the rabbi's doing his thing and saying whatever he's saying, and he says, "Okay, Ben, Benjamin, repeat after me." I don't think he said repeat after. I think you know what I'm saying. You know, so the rabbi said, uh, "Baruch Atah." Who know? Who know? I don't know what he said, but whatever the rabbi said, he would he would ha- say something, and then he would ask my father to repeat it. I don't know what the fuck my dad said, but it was the totally different from what the rabbi said. So my the rabbi would say one thing, and he would, you would almost want it to be an echo. Jesus Christ, it was terrible. And then my dad's best friend started laughing. And then I started laughing. And then it was sounded hilarious because it's just like you're talking to a guy who he doesn't, I mean, who knows what he's saying? I mean, he's just gibberish. So my dad's getting furious because my dad's best friend's laughing and I'm laughing and then other people are laughing. And it was just like, it was not a good situation. And my dad was furious with me. And, and I think it also set the tone for the marriages, his marriage's relationship with me. And it was not a great start, I must say. But at the same time, it's like fucking, fucking 14, 15, give me a break. Swinging pitches at number one. Big mistake. But you still fucking swing at pitches, right? I mean, you still swing at pitches. So that didn't stop me from swinging at pitches. She was pissed off at me. He was pissed off at me. But I'm just like, ah, it was funny. I mean, it was funny. I, I thought it was funny. So I don't, I'm not feeling bad for it. Fast forward. I go to college. I'm visiting my uncle and my aunt on my mother's side. My grandmother's there. We're going to go see Batman with Val Kilmer or Batman with fucking, you know, Michael Keaton. Or maybe it was Michael Keaton. And every time I go see a Batman movie, I'm bound to say something horrible. That's probably what it is now that I think about it. When I see Batman movies, fucking just give me back away. Don't, don't, don't come anywhere close because there's a very good chance that I'm going to say something horrible. Getting ready. I'm super arrogant. I'm off on my own. I'm in college. I got a girlfriend. I'm, you know, I'm just living on my own. I fucking feel cool as shit. I'm no longer in the, in the, in the, under the gaze of my family, which are just like, you know, relatively repellent. Going, we're getting ready to go see the movie. 
it's raining out and they're starting to put raincoats on and then they say, oh, okay, grandma, let's, let's get you, let's get you a raincoat. Cause they don't have a raincoat for grandma. They had a see-through pink poncho that they rolled over her. A see-through pink poncho that they rolled over her. Which reminded me, now that I'm in college and I'm rolling, I'm rolling, a, there's, a, there's, there's a bit of, there, I'm starting to, P.S., freshman year in college, if, you know, you've, you've been a boy's school your whole life and then all of a sudden there are girls in a place, you're starting to remember, all of a sudden you're starting to see similarities in your life with things out in the world and rolling a pink <laughs> fucking rubber over somebody or something, there's all of a sudden, there's this eureka moment where we have some similarity. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm like, I'm in there in college. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? My, my, my old man wasn't the only one getting ass. Let me say, let me tell you that. Well, let's be honest. I just had a girlfriend. Let's just relax. I was, I wasn't like my, my father had some fucking ass. I had a couple girlfriends. It wasn't that big of a deal. So they're rolling this pink see-through poncho over my poor grandmother, dearest grandmother, the only grandmother I ever knew, sweet, old, thin, long, <laughs> long, long, erect grandmother. <laughs> and I had the fucking balls, the fucking balls to say, oh, I'm so embarrassed. This is like the, the angriest. This story is the angriest my mother has ever gotten at me. It's the angriest she's ever gotten to me. And I'm going to tell this story and I'm going to feel terrible. And I just talked to my aunt a couple nights ago and I hope she's not listening to this. This was a story that I felt so bad about. But at the same time, part of me is just like, you, there's this similarity. Hits me like a lightning bolt. Hey, Grandma, you look like a giant dildo. Yeah. I, I said, I said dildo, or I said, you look like an erect penis or something along those lines. One or the other. I think I said, you look like a, I feel like they were rolling condom over. And I said, grandma, you look like an erect penis. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. And there was this fucking dramatic silence, dramatic silence. And this, (gasps) This ju- gasping, gasping from all corners of the of the room. My uncle, his his fucking the the fucking son of who I referred to as a giant erect penis. His wife, my aunt, my mother. Everyone is like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And the gasps were just like, <gasps> "Jeffrey!" And my mother, well, you know, the crazy part is, is my grandmother was a little had dementia, and there was a lot of things she didn't hear. So, like, for some reason, that one she heard. And I said, "I, and I heard the gasps, no laughs." 
and I, I mean, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she says, I'm, sh- you should be sorry. That was a horrible thing. All of a sudden, you know, she snapped out of it. <laughs> I fucking called her a big boner. And now she snapped out of it. Now, all of a sudden, grandma, now all of a sudden it's like you're fuck. you have clarity. I mean, you kind of make, can't make it up. <laughs> you can't make it up. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't give me nothing. All of a sudden now you hear, you hear it. Now you hear it. And I just, and my gr- uncle wanted to fucking throw me through. He wanted to kill me. He was a very, you know, he wanted to kill me. And my aunt wanted to kill me. And my mother wanted to fucking kill me. And the rest of the day, I was apologetic. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. I'm really sorry. I'm really, oh, fucking, sp- I had to deal with these people for the next two days. And I was like, this was a huge mistake. Oh, my God. Why did I say that? You're talking to a fucking very Catholic family, and you're making a joke about fucking provolactics and her g- d- fucking grandmother. <sighs> And I'm just like, it's all complete 100% defense. I'm trying to, I'm apologizing. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not defending my behavior. I'm just trying to kind of like apologize and get through it. And I'm feeling terrible. But in the back of my mind, I felt like there was some good shit. If I'm being totally honest, if I'm being totally honest, Man, that maybe that was just the wrong audience. You know what I'm saying? Maybe grandma, you look like a giant erection. I'm, maybe the uh, the audience is wrong. You can't make the joke to the person, right? So days pass. I get back to the campus, and I'm just like, I'm fucking drained from being. I mean, I just you know that 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 there's a very 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 good chance that was the last thing I ever said to my dear grandmother. Now that I think about it, that is the last thing I ever said to my dearest, warmest grandmother. That's the last thing I ever said to her. And I still think it's funny. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I called my father up. It was our we talk every once a week or one every other week. And I was just talking about it. And I called him in the office. The move would be to call him when he was in his office because if he was around his wife, he wasn't as fun. You know, there was like there's I could get a little bit. My sisters used to do the same thing. We would call him when he was at the office because if he was at home, it just you just didn't get that the 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 Ben Fader we knew. You had to get this kind of like, you know, half calf Ben Fader, decaffeinated Ben Fader wasn't really you know, these any kind of potential good moments were thwarted by, you know, his wife. Call him up at the office. Hey, what's going on? What are you up to? I said, I saw my he said, oh, yeah. like, he didn't give a shit too much. But I said, I said, I, I said something terrible. He said, what did you say? And I said, I'm going to tell you this, but you can't get mad at me because I've been I, too many people have been mad about me. Too many people have been mad about what I said. You cannot be mad at me. And he said, I, well, I can't guarantee that, but tell me what he said. And I told him the whole story. And I said, she was, and I was trying to, I really wanted to make sure I wasn't going to get yelled at again. I wasn't, I just was like this. I know this might be the right, he, they were divorced. He didn't see this family anymore. He had not the nicest things to say about them anyway. He didn't really get along with my grandmother. There, I feel like maybe this is the right audience. And I'm painting the picture. Pink. Grandma, you look like a... My fucking father started howling with laughter. Howling with laughter. To the point where he could not 
catch a breath to talk to me on the phone. He is laughing harder than I ever heard him laugh before. I have never heard this man laugh louder or harder than grandma, you look like an erect penis. He fucking almost hung up the phone. He almost fell out of the chair. I destroyed him with this fucking Homer, dude. This fucking shit was pure. This shit was fucking nice. This shit was fucking nice. And I knew it. And I remember hearing him just fucking choking with laughter. Can't catch his breath. Howling with laughter. And I said, I fucking knew that shit was good. I fucking knew that shit was good. I had to pay for the whole weekend of apologizing. And just like, I was like, I knew that shit was good. And I remember like thinking, there's definitely, that's definitely the last thing I said to my, to my, that's definitely the last thing I ever said to my grandmother. And that is by far the fucking funniest thing I ever said to my father. No question. I used to fucking rip him. I used to tell him great jokes. I used to be funny. My whole thing was to be funny because that's, I kind of ended up getting some sort of validation from him if I could make him laugh and making him laugh. And he would get mad because oh, you're always making jokes. And as I'm growing older, you're always making jokes. But God damn it. Grandma, you look like a fucking erection, a giant erection. I fucking killed him, dude. I killed him. And to this day, I mean, I'm never going to, I mean, now the only per, the only witness left besides me is my aunt and I ain't going to bring it up again. That's for sure. But I'm telling you this, my shit was fucking nice. I fucking hit a fucking Homer. It was just the wrong audience. And I swear to God, that was probably one of the highlights of my, that's a highlight joke, a highlight, real joke. Second time fucking destroyed, destroyed. I destroyed him. But it's, you know, I, I remember when my mother, and we're going to, I don't know if we're going to talk about my mother too much. My mother not, is not in the best of ways. Uh, she has uh, late stage dementia. I went to go visit her last week and um, I, and she didn't, doesn't really, she recognizes me, but she thinks I'm her brother. And then she asks about her parents and she's really, it's really like we're at a stage now where she's much thinner than she was. She's very comfortable and very, um, she's very comfortable. They do a great job. They're very nice with her. The, the nurses in the facility is very nice, but she's in a wasting situation. I mean, she's years of, you know, years of, uh, uh, diabetes and just like, it's just like, we're, you know, it, we're in a late stage dementia situation. And when I visit her, she's happy to see me, but you know, I ain't going to tell her about the reminder. I'm not going to remind her about that fucking horrible joke. Cause that that's just the last thing I need. The last thing I need is to fucking, the last thing I need is definitely not to leave her with the thought of me calling her mother an erect penis I, with late stage dementia. Who knows what that would lead to? Frankly, I mean, who knows what kind of fucking paralyzing, you know, delusion she would get. So I'm not bringing it up, but trust me, when she wasn't in this situation, when she was younger, if I did sneak that story in somewhere, didn't go over well, didn't go over well, didn't go over well. And she was still, every time I would tell it in defiance, her anger would be as much as the first time I did it, 
as much and she was furious so she, i could she would be furious if i even brought it up remember that time i talked to grandma last time i told talk to grandma it didn't go over well and every fucking time it was like it wasn't exponential anger but she was fucking so i'm not bringing it up again i mean there's no reason and i'm not bringing it up to my aunt because she's much more cognizant than my mother is and i don't think i need i don't think i need to rehash that whole story but i will tell you the last joke i told my father the last joke I told my father, this was a crazy story only because we were in a weird situation. My father had brain cancer. He had survived cancer. And then he was on his like the last round of cancer came back. And um, I would visit him often. And, you know, did our relationship get up that going back to what I, I asked him if he had any regrets. And he said his only regret was getting married so many times, which is like, you don't take responsibility for any of this shit, dude. <laughs> Come on, you could have fucking fixed these, some of these marriages. So at the time, he was just before he was he was slightly he was slightly mobile he had a he had a vineyard in upstate new york and i would go up and visit him and he was unable to kind of walk the way he used to he was very active like he was he was into manual labor he ran he would be up in the vineyards working in the vineyards he was not afraid to work hard i think that i get a lot of that uh, the ability to understand and and appreciate manual labor from him and working hard with your hands i learned it from him so there was a certain time where he couldn't walk very far and he ended up having like a golf cart. And I remember he wanted to take me for a ride in the golf cart and then we go sit by this pond and kind of talk. Now at the time, as his faculties are starting to diminish, it, it, the, the, there was, and this is my opinion, the, the, uh, there was definitely this sense of seizing control of him and his life, his assets, his businesses and his wife was slowly slowly kind of becoming much more involved with his assets and his money and his businesses and also trying to at the same time drive wedges between my father and my sisters and I it was it's very apparent and and it, and and I'm not speculating at the end of the, when at the end of his life they made a will that was so uh, aggressive towards us that, I mean, we were left with nothing, which is fine, made me a better person. But at the same time, it was like very clear that our suspicions were right. So as we were, as he was getting older, you could definitely tell that I was not uh, permitted to come up to visit him as much. It became much more, it wasn't like the home that I lived in. And I went and the same kind of, the same, you know, treatment was to my sisters and my sisters are much older than me and much more, far more defiant than I am and kind of like a little bit more hostile than I am and there was this moment where my father and my sisters were not getting along and part of it is because of my dad's wife my dad's wife was for sure trying to put stakes and like separate my father from my sisters so there was this like definitely like these this rift and my dad, we went to this pond and my dad says to me, he says, you know, you, uh, who do you think is right or wrong in this situation? And I said, and I was always the diplomat. I get that from my mother. I get the diplomacy from my mother. My mother was always just like, you know, let's try to work this out. Let's try to be a little diplomatic. And he, I remember me being very cagey with him because he was the master manipulator. He was very good at like, 
you know, exploiting things that I said and he would exploit the decisions that I would make or there was always like it it was you were like it was like I don't want to say it was like talking to Hannibal Lecter, but there was this real moment of knowing that every word you said for sure had some consequences or mattered or was going to be used against me or whatever. So you kind of had to be on your toes. And I remember him saying, you know, my, you know, my wife and your sisters are not getting along. We're not getting along. And she said this and she said this. And what do you think? And what what do you think the situation is? And I was just like, I'm not taking sides. I'm not taking sides. I love you. I love my sisters. And I don't, I really don't like this situation. Cause Oh, you've always been that way. You know, someday you're going to have to take us, you're going to have to learn. You got to take a side and you know, you can't just sit around and you know, you can't just straddle the fence. At some point you're going to have to learn how to take a side. And then he says to me, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. My second wife, my sisters, this is my, he's saying, he's talking about his second wife, which is his, my sisters, his daughter's mother. So my sisters are my half sisters. She said, he says, when I, before your sisters were born, I was in, I was at my wife's father's house and my wife, my father-in-law and my wife were having a huge fight, a huge fight a giant fight. They're screaming and hollering at each other. And then all of a sudden, my wife came up to me and said, Ben, who's right or who's wrong? Who do you side with? And then the father-in-law says, Ben sides with me. And then his wife says, no, no, he sides with me. Ben, what do you do? And he says, and I sat there and I, and I put my hands in my, in my fans together and I looked down at the ground and I doing, and I did what you were doing. I said, I didn't take, I didn't want to take a side and it was a huge mistake. So in a situation like that, whose side do you take? I want to know, Jeff, whose side do you take? And I'm thinking, and I'm listening to this goddamn He's putting me in some sort of fucking <laughs> riddle of the Sphinx here. He, there's going to be an answer. And then the answer is going to be something that I'm going to probably regret down the line. You know what I mean? This isn't going to be an answer that like I can be, you know, picking one side and picking. It's like, it's like, would you rather get kicked in the balls or bitten by a snake? It's like, ah, neither one's good. So I turn to my dad and he says, I need, you're going to answer the question for me. What? side you take? Do you take your father-in-law's side or do you take your wife's side? And I said, dad, that's easy. And he goes, oh yeah, it's easy. And I was like, it's totally easy. And he says, well, what's the answer? And I said, you, you side with your wife. And he says to me, why do you side with your wife? And I don't know why I fucking said it, but I said it. I said, well, you can't fuck your father-in-law. <laughs> Conversation over. And he goes, funny guy, real funny guy, always a comedian. And I was just like, I mean, you can't answer. I mean, that can't be a better answer. That you can't fuck your father-in-law. You can't have sex with your father-in-law, dad. It was like, it was, I fucking conversations over. It's the, I'm with you of conversations. It was fucking fire. He did not laugh. He should have laughed. He should have laughed. I should have fucking called my grandmother up. Poor old, ah, she'd be dead by now. I wish I could have called up my uncle bill or call someone up and fucking tell him that shit because that shit was fire dude that shit was fucking fire that was a home run you can't fuck your father-in-law was fucking fire dude my shit is nice my shit is nice 
Didn't go over well with him. However, conversation over. I fucking laughed. He did not laugh. He was furious. Last joke I ever told my father. And uh, there we go. You can't fuck your father-in-law, ladies and gentlemen. You can't fuck your father-in-law. That's the end of the, That's the end of that. I mean, shit, dudes. You got to fucking tell jokes, man. You got to swing at pitches, bitch. I'm telling you. I swear to God, two fucking zingers. I feel good about both of them. I feel good about both of them. I don't feel so good about the grandma one only because only because there are some of those people. There's one person, there's kind of one and a half people who are, you know, who are witness to that fucking genius. And then there's no fucking witnesses to, you can't fuck your father-in-law, but there you go, ladies and gentlemen, you can't fuck your father-in-law. Guys, if you can't do it an hour and 25, you can't do an hour and a half, what fucking good are you? Listen to me, guys. I got guests coming up. <clears throat> I got some good guests coming up. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go to Full Blast Podcast on Instagram. I need you to send me your blacksmithing questions. Don't send me bullshit. Don't send me jokes. Save your jokes for your grandmother. Save your jokes for your father. Be insulting to them. Leave me out of it. I don't want any of your bullshit. Give me some of the good shit and we'll uh, get you squared away. And there we are. We got a few more seconds to go, but that's it. So that's the end of the story. I mean, you got to tell jokes, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to swing at pitches. And sometimes they're not going to be fucking good. But in, if in your heart that shit is nice, then that shit is nice. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just got to swing at You always swing at pitches, ladies and gentlemen. Always swing at pitches. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Craig, take it away. And we will see you next week. Always swing at pitches. Thank you.